Save Ferris. Save Ferris? What? Well, um, see, we're collecting money to buy Ferris Bueller a new kidney. They run about 50 Gs or so, so if you could help out. Go piss up a flagpole. I'm sorry? You should be. Hey! Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Does It Hold Up podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite movies of all time to decide if they still hold up to today's standards. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And we are bringing you Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. This is one of the, like, the most iconic movies, probably of all time, definitely of the 80s. That I hadn't seen. That's just embarrassing. You... <laughs> I'm pretty sure our listeners at this point just understand that you have probably never seen any of these movies. And it's a rare occasion when you do. Unless it's Hannah Montana, you probably haven't seen it. Excuse me. What is it? Hannah Montana, Best of Both Both Worlds? Is that the name of her movie? No, it's just Hannah Montana the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Shows you how much I know. All right, so this is probably going to be a shorter episode for for everybody listening and for you too, because I'm not feeling the best. So not that I don't want to put my all into this podcast. I just don't know if I can go for an hour and 20 minutes like we normally do. We're going for an hour and 40 minutes. Oh my gosh. This is (laughs) going to be great. So, all right. Let's let's start talking about this movie. Came out June 11th, 1986, before I was born, and I'm an old ass man, and it was still before I was born. Just barely. Just barely. Literally 14 days. <laughs> I could have seen it when I was born. It was out. It was still in theaters. I could have went to the theaters as a tiny, tiny baby and saw this movie. As, as a one day old. As a one day old, I could have seen this movie. It would have been great. So, Ferris Bueller was directed and written by, do you know who? John Hughes. What other movie this year did we cover from John Hughes? Think oh, back. Breakfast Club. There you go. I was like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell that Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a John Hughes movie while watching it? Yeah. It has so many of those, like, John Hughes-esque John Hughes-isms? Yeah. Yeah. And it was shot just like a John Hughes movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, even though he's only directed, like, eight things, mm-hmm. there's just, like, a everything he produces and stuff is just, like, it has this certain flair to it. Yeah. That you can just kind of tell. Plus the writing, it's all the same. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean like he literally repeats dialogue, mm-hmm. but it's that flow. He has that particular cadence to the way he writes and it comes out in every one of his movies. Yeah. It's not like all of his characters are the same because they are not. They, no. He writes them well. He writes them with uh, their own personalities, but he does have that certain quality to him and any of his movies that you're just like, that's John Hughes. Might as well have a signature. Dynamics, man. They're, it's amazing. So John Hughes, we talked about him a little bit during The Breakfast Club, but this dude is synonymous with 80s high school movies and just pretty much the 80s in general. Do we need a new John Hughes? I Okay. That was something I was going to ask later, but let's just get into it right now. Yeah. We haven't had a John Hughes since the untimely passing of John Hughes. I can't think of a single writer who has captured the voice of a generation like he has since. Yeah, no. Every other person who's done, like, a high school movie, maybe they've done one, if it's good. Other than that, you get out of touch so quickly. The only person I can think of is, like, Evan Goldberg, who's the guy who works with Seth Rogen a lot. And they make all, like, the Pineapple Express and Superbad and stuff together because this is the end. Yeah. You know, that movie. Um, I believe he also helped co-write The Long Shot with Seth Rogen. When they made Superbad, they wrote it as teenagers. You can tell that movie's like a teenager. 
but you can also see as their movies progress together as goldberg's and rogan's movies progress they do grow a little with their audience yeah so i he's like the closest i can think but the problem is is like you said he was growing with his audience so he didn't capture the high school experience for very long when he was 40 he wasn't still writing the definitive high school experience yes yes it just, it's weird. I think we need another one. I'm not sure where it's going to come from, who it's going to be, what's going to happen, because high school movies don't matter anymore. Nobody watches them. Nobody no, they're cares. They're terrible, man. They all end up on Netflix written by some person who probably just graduated. Yeah. And it's like their thesis or, script or something. Or it's a 40, 50 year old person trying to do the lingo of a high schooler and being like 10 years too yeah. late. Like everything is so something. I don't even, I don't even know lingo to be able to say it correctly yeah like lingo from 10 years ago like people dab in movies and you're like that was 15 years ago it's all the references all the lingo everything changes so quickly nowadays that it's just like you you can't keep up with that and i assume it's because a lot of these scripts don't make it to filming right away they sit in development hell for years Mm -hmm. and that's probably why some of it happens but it's always going to happen if you have a 50 year old man writing a part for a 17 year old they don't know unless you have a kid who's helping you write it shut up Mm -hmm. you don't know like i'm 37 could i write a high school script sure would it be good maybe but it would definitely be a little out of touch I was out of touch when I was in high school. I could not imagine writing high school now. Unbelievable. I was 17 and I didn't know the lingo for 17 year olds. So I mean, when I was 17, we had our own lingo that nobody else understood. So yeah. Yeah. John Hughes. Great writer. Yeah. He he's a man who no matter what age he was could find that voice. He, he could give younger generations a voice, even if he wasn't a part of that generation, which is just phenomenal. I was looking at John Hughes and his filmography almost put some of these guys to shame where it's just like the ability to remember his movies mm-hmm. and his his everlasting career and his changing a generation and changing filmmaking now he didn't direct a lot of movies like i said he only did eight but he had a hand in producing directing or writing these movies okay the breakfast club yep pretty in pink mm-hmm. ferris bueller's day off Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, National Lampoon's Vacation and its sequels, Home Alone 1, 2, and 3, Curly Sue, Miracle on 34th Street, which I know you're a fan of, the 1994 version. Yeah. The live-action 101 Dalmatians and Flubber, plus a whole bunch of more movies. Dang. Those are all, whether good or not, those are all movies that people know. Mm-hmm. They are they are all-time classic movies. This is one man wrote all of them yeah that's insane to me like i get it spielberg's filmography as a director is astounding but i don't know if he has that many iconic movies in his resume i mean he has a lot of iconic movies i think the problem with him is he's been able to go on and do so many more that you have just those eh ones in there Mm -hmm. where john hughes was like no i'm gonna just jam pack my time with the good ones Right? He just was like, um, I don't have any misses. They're all amazing. Because mm-hmm. um, he unfortunately passed away at the age of 59, where Spielberg is in his 70s now. So he's got, you know, 15 years of filmmaking more than John Hughes. Yeah. So he has that extra time to have made these things. But it's also crazy to me because John Hughes did all of this without ever making a big budget blockbuster like a Jaws. 
like a Saving Private Ryan or War of the Worlds. He never did that. Yeah. They were all smaller movies, and yet they are still just as iconic as those big movies that made $500 million. Well, it shows you don't have to make the biggest budget thing for it to be loved. Correct. There just, is there is room in the world for those movies. It's just insane. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I know John Hughes. I've seen all of his movies almost. So, like, I knew what kind of career he had, but just looking at it in list form, I was just blown away mm-hmm. by the amount of iconic movies this guy was a part of. But what's really interesting that not a lot of people know, late in his career, he started writing under a pseudonym, his movie scripts. Weird. It was Edmund Dante's. Do you mm. know who that is? No. It's the protagonist from the story, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh. That's where he got the name from. Yeah. And he started writing under it, but nobody knows why. Uh, like I, I would kind of figure that he it was his late career, correct? Uh, he, he didn't only wa- like three or four. He wanted his scripts looked at not having his name attached because his name ha- held so much weight. You're half correct. Okay. Okay. So the prevailing theory, which makes a ton of sense, is that this name is attached to the lesser movies. Mm. The ones that he might have not thought were very good and he didn't want to tarnish the John Hughes name. Hmm. Because the three movies, and there are a couple more, but the three bigger movies that he wrote under this pseudonym were Beethoven, (laughs) the dog movie, Made in Manhattan with, I think, Jennifer Lopez. I think I have seen that. And Drillbit Taylor. Okay. None of those are good. They aren't (laughs) good movies, period. They're not the John Hughes iconic type movies where it's, you can tell they're a Hughes movie. Yeah. And that could be why. It's just the prevailing theory because nobody actually knows why yeah okay so ferris bueller's day off let's start with the box office this movie had a budget of only six million dollars again like i said he didn't make huge movies six million dollars domestically it took in 70.1 million dollars damn yeah that is 11 and a half times your budget in 1986 it was still only the 10th highest ranking movie really yeah you know what number one was we've Mm -hmm. covered it it was our very first episode top gun top gun Top Gun was number one in 1986. Adjusted for inflation, this movie would have made $199 million. Okay, not great. Yeah, but again, it wasn't great back in 1986, and yet this is one of the most enduring movies from that year. That's fair. And yet this one is like, everybody knows. Crazy. I couldn't tell you what the 10th ranking movie was from like three years ago, and it's going to stand the test of time. Yeah, no idea. Usually like the top three, absolutely. But number 10? That's really low to be this memorable. I mean, we've had movies that we thought were super memorable that weren't even in the top 10. So you never know how a movie's going to perform later. Yeah. All right. So let's look at 2016, because that would have been, what, 30 years later? 30 years later, the 10th movie was Doctor Strange, part of the MCU. So I think that's the only reason that it's probably memorable. Yeah. It's because it's part of the MCU. If it was a standalone, it might have just disappeared. Mm-hmm. So, or like here, number five from 2016 was the live action Jungle Book. I nobody mean, talk, I re- nobody I, talks about that movie. Yeah. Nobody I remember cares. it exists, but that's about it. Exactly. It's not going to endure. And once again, it's because it's Disney. Yeah. It's not going to endure over decades. So, all right. What do, what were the critics talking about? Well, the cinema score headed in an A minus. Okay. So, Pretty much what people were expecting. Uh, Ebert had it at three stars. 
I was a little surprised it didn't get that fourth star, but you know, <laughs> not everything is there. Well, you know what? He gave Spider-Man two and a half stars, so that's not don't fully at trust. All. Yeah. yeah. The quote I grabbed from him is: "If Ferris Bueller's Day Off fails on every other level, it at least works as a travelogue. It does, however, work on at least a few other levels." Okay. I mean, is he wrong? No, because it is. It, it, Really feels like a travel log for Chicago. They hit some of the biggest aspects there are there, except for the bean. I was a little surprised they didn't hit that. It but... wasn't. It didn't exist in 1986. Oh, well, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I'm showing my age here. Yes, you are. It did not exist in 1986. I think it was installed in the early 2000s. Oh, <laughs> so nice try. I don't know my uh, Chicago history well enough. You don't, yeah, you don't know your Chicago landmarks very well. What about um, uh, the? Navy Pier. No, that existed, but you know how hard it is to film there. Film there, like it costs so like the amount of money that they had, the budget of six million dollars. Yeah, half of that would have went to just filming on Navy Pier to be able to shut down Navy Pier and film there for what a day would cost about half that. Well, they filmed at Wrigley. Yeah, that's easy though. Is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one that got me was the stock exchange i don't even think one of those exists in not chicago anymore. not anymore i don't believe so anyway uh just looked it up 2006 i was right early 2000s is when the it's called the cloud gate by the way it's the bean not the bean it's called the cloud gate it's the bean uh unveiled 2006 so 20 years after this movie came out they couldn't have visited it unless they were gonna find the artist and look at his sketches yeah yeah i mean they did get to go to the art museum so yeah yeah they He's right. It's basically a travel log for Chicago. Do you want to come to Chicago in the summer? Here's the stuff you can do. Uh, the Rotten Tomato critics have it at an 82%, where the audience have it at a 92%. Wow. Yeah. Okay, wait, pause. Yeah. Which ones, now without giving anything away, mm -hmm. which one of those scores is closer to where you would have it? Uh, probably the critics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But as we know... The actual percentages on Rotten Tomatoes mean absolutely jack shit. Mm -hmm. They are a huge waste of time. And if you guys are ever looking at Rotten Tomatoes, please click on the actual percentage to bring up what the ratings are. Yeah. And what are those? Critics have it at a 7.8 out of 10. And the audience have it at an 8.6 out of 10. That's, yeah. So they're still just as far apart. Yeah. When you, when you look at the ratings. But the critics are about right. I mean, it's 78%. That's a C+. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to movies, it's always hard. Because people are like, oh, that's only a C+, 78%. And I'm like, well, with movies, it's way different. Like, a 7.8 is probably a B. A B? Well, a yeah, B because a 50 is not going to be a failing grade. Exactly. That's like a middling movie. A 60 is a middling movie, not a D+. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like a B+, which is right. Yeah. Yeah, it's right movies are always touting 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Who cares? Yeah, 100% rich. Fresh. Yeah, great. There's six reviews. There's six reviews and they're all middling reviews. Yeah. Hey, this movie was fine. Yeah. Oh, it's 100% fresh though. Oh, shut up. Well, same with the 0%. I've seen the news articles talking about movies having a 0% oh, yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes and it's like, but they all gave it like a 4.7. So it's, not, it's like halfway. Right, like nobody liked it. But it wasn't the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it always makes me laugh. 
where do we want to start? Let's just let's start with the opening, right? That over the top acting for the illness kind of cracked me up because I didn't quite know the movie I was getting into. I didn't know. But what about what about the fourth wall break before that? Was there a fourth wall break before that? I thought it was after that or during it. Oh, is it during it? It might be during it. Because my first note is just what the why are we doing a fourth wall break? Yeah. Yeah. He's he definitely hams it up a lot when he's sick Mm -hmm. to the point of like if I was his parent, I'd be like, you're clearly faking it. Yeah. It's setting up the fact that his parents are oblivious. Oh, yeah. It's the 80s. Yeah. But they are so loving. They are. And that doesn't normally happen in kid, like, teen movies. Right. They call on him. They call him throughout the day to, like, check in on him, make sure he's feeling well, if they can bring him home, anything, stuff like that. But again, the 80s. Parents didn't hover around you, but they loved you. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to be a helicopter parent to show that. Take a lesson, 2023 parents. But it also shows how smart ferris is to know how to play his parents where it's like yeah i know i just bend over and lick my hand and that's how i have clammy hands and i'm gonna say that i want to go to school just so they make me stay home genius or gross gross licking your palms so that they're sweaty gross why don't you just just turn the heat up in your room like get under like 18 blankets and actually get sweaty (laughs) like i don't understand why do you have to lick your palms or have like a glass of water or something. Yeah. Like, I, Licking well, it is just... Ugh. Water would be too cold, though. Maybe. If you've had that water for a while. It's still it's still different. It's, it's not... It's okay, Water's not so, a clammy oh, feeling. So a little bit of water. Yeah. And then use, like, a damp cloth. But water doesn't feel, like, sweaty. That's the difference. Mm. Water isn't as, like, as salty or as, like, sticky. Cry into your hands. Then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go to school. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, there we go. Love it. Better than licking your hands, because that is just gross. You don't know where those hands have been. You're a teenager. We know where your hands have been. Please do not lick them. Also, you're having someone else touch your licked hands. Yeah, so he never says that, though. He's like, just to have sweaty palms, you just lick your hand. Why are you touching people to prove you're sick? Why are they touching your hands? Usually you check, like, the forehead or something. Why are you licking your palms? It makes no sense. I don't know. It makes no sense. You got clammy hands. <laughs> sure, but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. We're also introduced to his sister at this moment and her just whole endeavor of being like, I hate you and I can't believe you're getting away with this. Are they twins? I think so. So Ferris is a senior in school. He's going to graduate in like two months after this movie. Mm-hmm. So is she. Is she going to graduate? Yeah. I I was just confused because I think, I think she's older. Because she got the car. And she acts like she's older. Yeah. So it just, it was very confusing on how he's supposed to be graduating. And yet she seems older. Yeah, no, they're in the same grade. So they're twins? Or were they just born exactly nine months apart? Like the day she was born, his parents got busy and got pregnant again. So she hit the cutoff basically as her birthday. Yeah. And then they had another one. Maybe she is 17, but they're the same age. Like, they're in the same grade because he got held back because of where his birthday landed. Or she got pushed ahead because of where her birthday lands. I don't or know. he jumped a grade because he's so smart. But he's not. He's so dumb. Is he, though? I don't know. I don't know. This character just pisses... Okay, let's yeah. just do it. Let's just go, let's just go <laughs> into this shit. So, Ferris Bueller is played by Matthew Broderick. Love him. Uh, he's He's so good. He's the only reason I think this character even semi-works. Yeah. In the hands of anybody else, it completely comes across in all the wrong ways. 
even he struggles to make it come across in yeah. the correct ways. But he's great in this role, but God, this character is just freaking terrible. Oh, yeah. Like, I have a question of, is Ferris Bueller a terrible person? Okay, I have a question that adds to your question. Yeah. Is Ferris Bueller a sociopath? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. He's a terrible person, sociopath, little bit of psychoticness going on. There's definitely something not functioning fully in his head. I mean, he's super toxic, too. Oh, God, As a so friend? Toxic. Yeah. Just as a person. Like, I get, yeah. I get not wanting to go to high school. I skipped tons of days in high school. But to go as far as you do. Of like having people call you and faking sick so that people suddenly think you're needing a kidney. Yeah. Like it, like he's the one who kind of pushed that. Like he didn't ch- say no. You you can fake your voice being like, heh, heh. But to have that whole little aspect of him using the synthesizer. The yeah, yeah. To, to have those weird noises. Which, and then he's like hitting all of them at one time. Yeah. And it's like, um... Are the students also dumb? So there was always the theory that um, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone grew up to be Jigsaw. Yeah. Because of all like the traps and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. You think think it's Ferris? Ferris. Yeah, I could see it because he comes up with his own traps. Well, well, traps, but they're not really traps. Goldberg machines that confuse people and stuff. He's very creative like that. And he's got that sociopathic, narcissistic type of quality to him. Where I could totally see him becoming a serial killer. I could too. Kevin McAllister was defending himself. That's the difference. That's and why he was I don't younger. think so. Yeah. Ferris Bueller becomes Jigsaw. Okay. That's my theory. I like it. Yeah. Is that, is that like a hot take or? Yeah, it's just a theory. Okay. Yeah. If it was a hot take, it would be very mild. It's not, <laughs> it's not very hot. But yes, he's a very terrible friend. And here's like some examples. Clearly he lies to his parents. He's a terrible brother. He doesn't understand anything that happens with Jeannie and how it makes her feel anything that he's doing. But he's also, he's just a terrible friend. Mm-hmm. So a little while into the movie, they have to call the school to try to get his girlfriend out of well, school. And he slaps the crap out of his friend, Cameron, mm-hmm. like slaps him in the face. And then when Cameron, and then kicks him in the butt. Yeah. And then when Cameron's like, why did you hit me? He's like, I didn't hit you. I, I literally tapped you. I didn't hit you. And then he almost, almost makes it seem like it's Cameron's fault he got hit. He, like, pushes it to the to the line without actually saying the words, you made me do it. He's basically saying, you made me do it. Like I said, toxic. We have whole TV shows dedicated to the idea of gaslighting people now. And Ferris might be one of the first ones to ever do it. Mm-hmm. Because he abuses the crap out of his friend, but makes it seem like it's his friend's fault. Yeah. And then go ahead. You were going to talk about when he calls his friend? Oh, yeah. To begin with. He he calls his friend who's sick, not feeling well, or so he says. Yeah, he's faking it as well. Yeah, and he's like, you're going to come over here. You're going to do all this stuff. You're going to just come. And his friend is like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. He constantly coerces his friends into doing what he wants. Yeah, he says, I'll stop being your friend if you don't get your ass over here now. And I'll just keep calling you. Come on, dude, that's manipulative as hell. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a terrible person. And... He's not a great boyfriend either. No. Like, he just leaves Sloane when they go to the parade. Mm -hmm. He just disappears and leaves her. And he's like, I I guess she's with Cameron, but like, isn't this supposed to be part her day too? But also the entire day is just his day. He just drags them along for what, shits and giggles? All the while telling them it's for them. Yeah. 
Cameron needs this. Cameron doesn't want to do any of this. Cameron needs this, but I'm going to forget Cameron and do my own thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm also going to bring my girlfriend around so that he feels like a third wheel. Yeah. Yeah. It's my biggest problem with this movie is Ferris just being a terrible human being. I have that written a few times where I'm just like, I would really enjoy this movie better if he didn't have to lie and coerce people into doing what he wanted. Like if it was a thing that they had planned together. Yeah. I would have enjoyed this movie a heck of a lot more. But because he is so terrible of a person, I'm like, I want to, I, I, my eyes were rolling the entire time. Like anytime he did anything and he got away with anything, I'm like, ugh. You suck. I know people like you and it's terrible. All right. So Cameron, we already talked, talked about this a little bit. Cameron also stayed home. And when they show him in his bed, he has a ton of pill bottles Mm -hmm. and medicine behind him. Cameron's got a problem, right? Yeah. He's self-medicating. No, no. I mean like a problem like either he's addicted to all this stuff or mentally something's going on with him yeah like what's his problem he destroys a one of 100 ferrari he doesn't mean to yeah but he doesn't care when he does it he laughs about it and he's like well it was only a matter of time i mean that could also be a coping mechanism it's just weird yeah but i also connect with him a little bit yeah cameron is played by alan ruck i who crushes this role yeah i almost think He's a better casting choice than Broderick was for Ferris. Yeah, Rock just has it. this this dead look in his face throughout the whole movie where you can tell he's completely somewhere else, even when he's supposed to be enjoying things. The movements, the way he speaks, everything. And the fact that he's like two feet taller than Matthew Broderick, <laughs> but he's the submissive one in yeah. the friendship, like adds to that dynamic as well. These two are just some of the most perfect casting ever in a movie. Yeah. And then we get the girlfriend who's whatever. Okay, so let's talk about her because it's weird, right? So Sloan is played by Mia Sarah, mm-hmm. and she's she's okay in this. The only you know? actual teenager out of all out Correct. of them. Correct, because what Broderick was twenty five filming this, Ruck was twenty nine. I think she was nineteen. Yeah, filming this. But what happened to Mia Sarah? So she stars in Legend opposite tom cruise tom fucking cruise in 1985 mm-hmm. now this isn't one of tom cruise's biggest movies but it's still tom fucking cruise you start opposite him the next year you star opposite matthew broderick in one of the most iconic high school movies of all time yeah then what looking through her imdb almost every single 98 percent of the movies she's been in since ferris bueller's day off have like a five rating on imdb it's all trash. Was she actually good in those movies? Le- she's pretty good in Legend. Okay. Like, she's real good in Legend. Legend is super underrated, and if you haven't seen it, I recommend watching it. It's it's a really underrated Tom Cruise movie. He's really good in it. It's a really weird movie, too, but it's worth watching. So she was good in that, and she's good in this. I think she fits the part really well. She's she's cute. She's bubbly. She plays the girlfriend part really well. Like, you're telling me in the rest of the late 80s and all through the early 90s, she couldn't grab another girlfriend role somewhere mm-hmm. in, a, in a bigger movie? How are you in two great movies back to back and then your career just completely plummets after that? Did you piss off John Hughes? <laughs> like, how did he not put you in other movies? He clearly loves working with the same people over and over again. Yeah. You know, John Candy, uh, Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Did you piss him off? Could have. I don't know what happened. Like, if, if, I, was, if I was alive, which... 
I was 14 days after this movie came out. <laughs> but if I was old enough during this time, I would put stock in her. I would have been like, she's going to be a star. Watching her performance in this, I don't think I would have agreed. Simply because there wasn't enough to her character to know whether or not she could go the distance. But is that her fault or is that the script's fault? Probably the script's fault. But she did the best she could with it. Yeah, I mean... I think with the limited amount that she was given, she definitely stands out. Everybody remembers Sloan. I I think the movie could go without her and it would be somewhat similar. Interesting. Okay. Although I do think she's a better friend than Ferris, so... Oh, yeah. Like, so here's a question. Does she break up with Ferris and her and Cameron get together? Because I think they'd work a lot better together. She's enough of an outgoing personality to bring Cameron out of stuff without, like, forcing it. And he's enough reserved for her that she doesn't always have to be the center of attention next to the guy who is jumping on parade floats. I could see it. Yeah. Because they definitely have moments throughout the movie where it's just like, oh. It's also like the two times that we see them interacting. Those two actors definitely have way more chemistry than she has with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. When she talks to Broderick, everything feels very stiff between them. Yeah, because, you know. He's a Matthew psychopath. Matthew Broderick is... Uh... Attracted only to himself, Ferris is. He is so narcissistic. Oh my god. It's unbelievable. Okay, let's just finish up this cast. So we have Jennifer Grey as Jeannie, who would go on to be in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Um, And then apparently her whole career fell apart because she got a nose job and everybody hated it because her nose was like one of her iconic features. Yeah, it was cute. It's a cute nose. No, she got a nose job and then everybody hated her. Uh, One of my favorite characters is played by Edie McClurg who is Grace, the secretary. Love her. Love her. She's been in tons of stuff. Like, her IMDb is is vast. Tons of voice work. Like, Carlotta in The Little Mermaid. I don't know who Carlotta is, but she was that. She did voice work for, like, Tailspin and Darkwing Duck. She was in movies like Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Flubber, Master of Disguise, TV shows like Malcolm in the Middle, Two and a Half Men, and Hannah Montana. Hmm. She was in an episode of Hannah Montana as, I don't know, because <laughs> I've never seen the show, so couldn't tell you. She's great. She steals every scene she's in. Love her. Love her. Cindy Pickett plays Mama Bueller. Okay. Lyman Ward plays Daddy Bueller. All right. And what's funny is they met making this movie, got married the same year, were married for six years, had two kids, then they got divorced. But looking at that, his history is weird. He, before her, he wasn't married after her at all, but before her, he was married twice before. His very first marriage only lasted three months. That's sad. Just get an annulment. <laughs> you don't have to get divorced. Just get it's three months, man. Just pretend it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have Charlie Sheen makes a random appearance in this as the boy in the police station. He does great. I mean, you can definitely see in this tiny performance the star he was going to become. Yeah. Then Ben Stein plays the economics teacher of just Bueller. So great. Bueller. Anyone. Love him. His voice is just so... I love it. Uh, It's so good. We've all known teachers like that. Apparently Ben Stein's like a literal genius though. I used to watch his uh, game show. It was called Win Ben Stein's Money. Okay. And it was three contestants went up and they had to answer questions. It was a trivia show. And then whoever won out of three contestants, whoever had the most, had to go up against Ben Stein at the end of the show. And they would have to go up against him. He's a certified genius. (laughs) And apparently he's also a real economics teacher. Playing an economics teacher. Awesome. Put Ben Stein in all the things. It was pretty great. But small parts. I don't want him leading anything. I just want to hear his voice come in and do something funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's let's get this 
nonsense out of the way here. Jeffrey Jones plays Ed Rooney, mm-hmm. the dean. The dean? Is he a dean or a principal? He's the dean, I believe. Dean of students. Yeah. Okay. He was also in Beetlejuice. Yeah. That's probably why where you'd recognize him from. Uh, he hasn't worked since like 1997. Mm-hmm. For a good reason. a very good reason. He solicited a 14-year-old boy and took nude photos of him. And it's a whole long story. You can Google it. I'm not going to go into too much detail. When the boy came forward years afterwards, they looked into him and his computer was just full of underage pornography. Yeah. Just full. Makes it so that this movie, you know, doesn't stand the test of time because of his character. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up his jaded past here because a little too close to home in this movie then, huh? Yeah, he's a little too obsessed with Ferris. Ferris. Breaking into his house, tracking him down. Like, it's one student, man. It's one student. So watching this, I didn't actually know this story. I don't keep up with celebrity anything. Yeah. So I didn't know this going into it. And I had the comment of, does he go too far? He just, he goes too far. It was a question at first and then a statement later. Because he just, (laughs) this character does too much to prove this point. And it makes very little sense. It's not even comedic by the what end. What is his obsession with Ferris is always my question. You have a school full of a thousand students, hundreds of students, however many students. What is your obsession with this one student? So I kind of understood the obsession with the one student being like, this is Ferris. He gets away with everything. He gets to do whatever he wants. I want to take him down a peg. So, so what? I get that. But to take it to the extent that he does is just psychotic. Oh, absolutely. Because he's also a sociopath in this. You could definitely have the bit of like, I want to catch him in, in, in the thing when calling or doing whatever. But to go to his house. Yeah. To break into his house. To fight his sister. To hurt his dog. Yeah, it's all too far. And it's not funny. No. He's actually my least favorite character in this whole movie. Yeah. Next to Ferris. They're like 1A and 1B. And the fact that they spend so much time on this character makes me wonder if this is a Ferris movie or a Dean movie. Yeah, I feel like it might have been better if they just limited the amount of time we spent with him. He still could have went this far, but if we only checked in with him for like 30 seconds and we only did it like four times, probably a better movie. Mm -hmm. Probably better. All right. So we've spent a lot of time talking about nonsense. Let's go through all the big things that happen in this movie because they're stupid. So, first off, you could never do any of this in a single day. No. Impossible. So he wakes up for school. Let's assume school starts at 8. He wakes up. He lays around the house after everybody leaves, calls Cameron. Cameron has to decide if he wants to come over, which one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie, when Cameron's sitting in his car talking to himself about if he wants, if he's going to go over and see Ferris or not. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go. Gonna... He, he's going to keep calling me and calling me. And, and then I love when he gets out of the car. And we watch him walk inside and the camera goes back to the same exact framing of when he was in the car and we watch him walk behind it and get back in. Mm -hmm. It's that is pure physical comedy at its finest. That doesn't need to go too far. It's not slapstick. It's just physical comedy. And Alan Ruck just crushes this part. Mm -hmm. Love it so much. But he does decide to go. Then they call the school to get Sloan out. They they pick up Sloan around 930, 945. Because they're well into a class already before she gets called. Yeah. It's not even her second class. Yeah. So they pull her out. This is a scene that we'll talk about later because it's one of my awards And when he picks her up from school. So they pick her up. They go to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, 
we factored that they got to be about 11 or 12 miles outside Chicago. Yeah, based on the odometer readings. Yes. yes. So it takes a half hour to get to Chicago. Then they drive around. They go to the parking garage. They drop the car off. Then they get in a cab and they go to the stock exchange. They go to the Sears Tower first. They go. You're right. They go to the Sears Tower first. It will never be the Willis Tower. No. I mean, it is, but it will it's always the Sears to Tower. us, the Sears Tower. So they go there. That takes a while just to get up there, experience oh, yeah. it and everything. There's a line. So they experience that. Then they go to the stock exchange mm-hmm. for reasons. Yeah. I, okay. So I don't understand why they go to the stock. Everything else makes sense. The stock exchange does not. Not a single thing. I honestly thought it was supposed to be that, um, what's his name? Oh my gosh. Cameron. Cameron's father was down there. I thought he was literally looking at his father. Yeah, but, but he then wasn't. he wasn't. So I was, or if I was he so was, we, it's very unclear. Yeah, they never focus on anyone. And we also in get particular. a weird moment between Ferris and Sloane here, where Ferris is like, "Marry me." Yeah, let's, let's just get married today. Chill, dude. You're like twelve, and you don't know what the hell you're doing with your life. Definitely on a manic episode. Yeah, relax. Midlife crisis at the age of eighteen. Yeah. So they go to the stock exchange. Super weird. Then they leave that and. What do they do next? Then they go to the baseball game, right? No, baseball game. Oh, lunch. 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 Yes. They go to lunch next where he steals somebody's reservations. Yep. But it's not just a regular person. It's Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. Yeah. You steal a famous man's thing and nobody questions it. The maitre d' questions it, but he fakes a phone call to, I hate this scene. Yeah. This this maitre d' is dumb as hell, and they would never get away with this. You so, can't just walk in and steal somebody's reservation. No restaurant, regardless of how well you lie about it, no restaurant is allowing that to happen. You would have had to show ID to prove who you were, something. Mm-hmm. So they go there, they have lunch, then they go to the art museum. Then they, no, go, then to the they go to the Cubs game. game. Yeah. Even I can't keep the day straight. Like, I watched it. I should be able to. Yeah. No, I just missed that in my notes. I have foul ball catch before the uh, museum. I just missed it. Yeah. So they go to a Cubs game. Mm-hmm. So they picked up Sloan at 930. They drive a half hour to Chicago. It's 10 a.m. They go to the stock exchange, hang out for half an hour. They have a noon. It's a noon reservation that they take. Mm-hmm. So they sit. They have lunch. If you've ever been to a fancy restaurant, it's not McDonald's. You don't eat in 10 minutes and get out. Yeah. It takes a while. So first they have to lie their way in, then they have to order, then get their food, blah, 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 all that. Also, who pays for it? I wondered that too, is how they're affording the entire day. I mean, Cameron's rich, so I'm assuming Cameron. Yeah. But there is a deleted scene that never made the cut because they thought it would make Ferris an even worse character. Him stealing bonds from his dad's closet. Oof. And cashing those in and that's how they afford the day. But I do believe they're supposed to be his bonds. That his dad is keeping for safety for later, for school, Still. for college. But he takes them, cashes them in. That's how they have the money for the day. Mm. But because they don't show that, I assume Rich Cameron is the one footing the bill for all this. Well, still makes Ferris a terrible, terrible human friend. Being. Absolutely. Yeah. So they go have lunch at noon. They get out by 1.30 lunch. Mm. If it was a 1 o'clock game, which there is no 2 o'clock games. Yeah. There are always 1 o'clock games. Very rarely do you get a 2 o'clock. So maybe they caught one. Or maybe the game was delayed or something. Who knows? But somehow they're still at the game in the third and fourth inning. So that's 2 o'clock, 2.30. Mm-hmm. 
So if the game started at two, by the time they actually get to Wrigley, they made it to the beginning of the game, got in, got to their seats, two o'clock game. They're in the third or fourth inning. That's like 2.30, 2.45. Mind you, Wrigley is nowhere near the Sears Tower. So they would have had to... Oh, they're they're north side, south side, west side. They're everywhere in Chicago, which and... takes 30 minutes of travel time each, no matter what. Period. Like, that's minimum 30 minutes. Yeah. So they go to the Cubs game. They get out of there by 2.30, 2.45. They go to the art museum. Okay. But they have to travel to the art museum, which is also nowhere near Wrigley. Mm-hmm. It's on the other side of Chicago. Hmm. So they stay at the art museum for a while. It's a great scene, the art museum. I love when they're just looking at stuff. It's yeah. just cool. It's awesome. It's one of my award winners. We'll get there. But they go there and nothing's really happened. There's been no like revelations. There's been no giant conversations. There's been nothing has happened other than traveling around. And every now and then we caught back to Rooney trying to catch him. And when we're not with Rooney, we're with the sister trying to catch him. Yeah. But nothing major has happened mm-hmm. in this movie to this point. Yeah. So, they go to the art museum, which is fun. What do you think of the art museum? You like it? Yeah. It's all Could right. Could it be better? Yeah. Do you wish they would have done something else? No. I think okay. the art museum is fine. I just wish they would have made it mean more. I wish they would have made any of it mean more. Like, there was reasons why they did it? Yes. Yeah. Because there's no reason to any of this. No. So, after the art museum, they walk outside and, ooh, bam, boom, there's a parade happening. This is one of my biggest nits. Yeah. Of the entire movie. Is that there's a parade? Yes. Okay. Specifically a like German pride parade, which happens in the fall, never in spring. Why would they be having a parade during a weekday? They have parades during the weekday. Mm. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. You stop that much traffic in downtown Chicago for a German day parade yeah. in the spring during the week? Yeah. Nah. No. I mean, nah. in real life, no, but they do have parades in the middle of the week sometimes based on, depends on what the parade is for. Yeah. The so. the thing that got me is the German day parade is always in September. Yeah. Yeah. But this one clearly takes place in spring because he said he has to graduate in two months. Mm-hmm. So this is taking place in, what, if they graduate in June, April is when they're doing this? Yeah. Which means they, they went to like, what, opening day for the Cubs? Probably. Because baseball starts in April, so... They went to a very early game. Still not sure how they just walked into a baseball game. So, know your German pride movie. Yeah. Good, John Hughes. Do some research. (laughs) So, they walk out of the museum and they get to the parade. Mm -hmm. And Ferris just deserts his friends. Mm -hmm. So, he can jump on a parade float and perform. Somehow, he makes it onto the float, but the others don't. Yeah, they definitely get blocked by the cops. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, no, you can't go. Well, he just went. Is it because his vest looks kind of like their dresses? Kind of Germanish. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely looks like he, he could have been a part of <laughs> it. Old man German. <laughs> Absolutely. So he performs on the float and he does Danke Mm-hmm. Great song. Makes sense. Fun, fun moment. But then somehow he turns it into Twist and Shout. Neither which of which he's no singing. Sense. Well, yeah, he's definitely not singing because he. Anybody who thinks he's singing clearly wasn't paying attention to the movie enough. Because Danke is a female. One, it's female. Two, he sounds nothing like that. And three, he picks up the microphone at one time and you can clearly see it's not plugged into anything. (laughs) Like he literally grabs the cord and lifts it and it's not plugged into anything. So he's just, where's the music coming from? Yeah. And why did they have these songs ready to go? Donkey Shane kind of makes sense, but Twist and Shout, 
Twist and shout makes no sense, but it's a great moment in the movie. Oh, it's so good. It just makes absolutely no sense. So you really have to suspend your disbelief for this scene. One of the parts that one of the parts that kills me the most with this is late in Twist and Shout when they're doing the ah, Mm -hmm. and it's like edited to hell, jumping around all the the people doing it, and gives my head it gives me a headache. Yeah, it's it's really edited poorly. For something that doesn't need to be. Also, way to be a dick to traffic. Just stopping the parade to do this song so that everyone can get in on it. But the parade's still moving. I don't think so because everyone like crowds around it. Oh, no, they're not moving. Why? Because that float is currently in front of the judge's table. Oh. So the float was already stopped to get judged. And then he basically makes sure that that float's going to win. Way to pick sides there, Ferris. Yeah. Although there, I like when we're watching this scene, are there more floats? Do we see anything no. in the background or foreground or anywhere? No. Yeah. Is it well, just like it a single... starts with floats, and then when he goes and starts dancing, there's no floats. So it's like a two-float parade. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Mostly because it's supposed to be in fall. <laughs> I also just don't like movies. I... Movies got to stop doing this. Spontaneous choreography that everybody knows. Yeah. Stop doing it. It makes no sense whatsoever. These dancers are dancing a very particular dance to Twist and Shout that they would have no idea how to do. Mm-hmm. They just all just do the same exact dance and it fits the song. Now I can understand them doing a choreographed dance because they've been practicing something, but not to this song. Yeah. To Donka Shane, yeah. maybe. Yeah. It's but weird. I wouldn't mind it so much in this instance if the dancing made sense for the song and he just kind of had to figure out his way into the dance. Yeah. Instead of like him being a major part of your dance. Well, he wasn't supposed to be there. Or was he? (gasps) Was this all planned just so he can be on that one float at that one time? So we get a line of dialogue from um, Sloan later in the movie after everything's over. And she says, you've planned this since before you woke up, didn't you? Did Mm -hmm. he plan this? Is this not a spontaneous day? Could be. He plans way too much on how to get away with it, like the intercom system, like having a mannequin in his bed that's Mm -hmm. set up to a pulley system. So he knew. He knew. Because if he didn't, that's like two hours of setup before he even calls Cameron. Yeah. Then the day makes even less sense. Yeah. So anyway, they go to the art museum. They do the parade thing. We're looking at it's got to be like 3.30, 4 o'clock already. If not farther, yeah. Ferris needs to be home by six before his parents get home so he can keep faking sick. And they still go to, I think it's um, Cameron's house with the pool. They do. So after the parade, they have to take a cab back to get the the Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And they run into his dad. This is the second time they've run into his dad, Mm -hmm. which again, rule of three, because you get the dad at the restaurant, you get the dad in the cab, and then you get the dad when Ferris is running home. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a lot of threes. Go watch the movie again. I bet you can notice a whole bunch of them. But they see him and they have to lie about that, which is just fine. Whatever. What an unnecessary scene. Just let him get back to the car. Yeah. So they get back. They have to get the Ferrari. They which, realize how many miles are on it because of those two dudes. The people at the parking garage took for a joyride all day, which has a wonderful scene in, during it. Where they're of- flying. Yeah, do with the space, uh, space Star Wars music playing. Yep. Uh, so great, except for there's no traffic. Yeah, there's, there's no traffic, traffic at all in this movie, except for when it's necessary to the plot. And there is always traffic in Chicago. 
I have had to go to Chicago for work at 3 a.m. And there's been traffic. Yeah. So I've come out of the city early, early in the morning. And there's still traffic. Always. I love that, though, the Star Wars music, because they're coming into frame like the Death Star. (laughs) Not the Death Star, like a destroyer Uh coming into frame. That's how the car comes in. So playing music makes perfect sense. Would you want a TV show based around those guys day out with the Ferrari? You want like a six episode miniseries of their day out? Nah, I want a short movie. Like a 30 minute movie? Yeah. Okay. I, I Yeah, me too. I want it. Give it to me. Yeah. Pretty sure both those actors are still alive so they can just reprise their roles. I know they'll look <laughs> a lot older, 30 years older, 40 years older. I don't care. It, it, you know what? <clears throat> just give us the repeat. Someone like a new set of kids brought a Ferrari in and they do the same day. Yes. In the future, yeah. Yes, would love it. But you're right. So then they have to drive out of the city. We're looking at it's like 4.35 o'clock already. That's rush hour. That's rush hour. You're sitting in traffic for a while. So if they left the city at 3.34 o'clock, you're in at least an hour of rush hour traffic, if not an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So they're not getting back to Cameron's house until 5, 5.30. Then they sit around the pool forever. Cameron tries to kill himself by drowning himself because dude's a wackadoo. Except, does he? Because the way he comes out of it makes it seem like he wasn't doing that. Like, he had already decided, like, things were going to be okay and he was just trying to mess with Ferris. Ambiguous. Very. Because you can read it both ways. Yeah. Because the entire movie makes it seem like he's just so done with everything and he's overdosing on pills and he's all this. So, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried. Mm-hmm. But also the way he's like, Ferris... You're my hero. He's like jokey. Yeah. So I don't know. I was really interested in that whole spot being like, okay, we're going to get to some really serious stuff here. Like, let's let's dive into it because we've been building this whole thing. The entire movie of him just being like done with life. I thought it was going to have a serious moment there and they just didn't let it happen. Oh, yeah, no. And I was kind of uh, disappointed in that. Very, I feel like this movie was missing a moment of just seriousness between Ferris and all them that we just never comes. I guess we kind of get it when they push the Ferrari out, but not really. Yeah, that's still even played like a joke. You give you give it like a beat, but he's already at the point of like, okay, I'm accepting things that are happening. So you're past when you needed to have that moment. So I know he gets the time with Sloane and Sloane really talks him through a whole bunch of stuff. Like, But they're not the main characters. I know. That's, that's the, the problem. problem. <laughs> that's the problem is your main character never has that beat, that downbeat. Yeah. So they go to the pool and the whole time they've been trying to run the odometer backwards on the Ferrari because the Joy Riders put like 150 miles on it. Yeah. So they're trying to run it back. They realize that's not going to happen. Cameron has a freak out and smashes the car with his foot. And the jack that it's on gives way and it crashes out the window and just boom, done. Car's gone. Because it's like a giant cliff. Yeah. Behind their house. Because they're rich and their freaking garage is basically a giant glass treehouse. Yeah. I could not figure out what neighborhood they'd be in. To be that close to the city and yet be that in the woods. That's it. Then Ferris needs to get home. But if you include all the pool stuff, the car stuff, everything, and the fact that Cameron doesn't drive Ferris home. Ferris has to run home from Cameron's. We're not exactly sure how far Cameron lives from him. He's no way in hell making it home by 6 p.m. before his parents get there. Yeah, nah. Now, the one saving grace of this is his sister has been arrested because Rooney, well, not arrested. She's at the police station because she's filing a report because Ed Rooney broke into their house and she kicked him in the face a whole bunch. 
So she's at the police station filing report. This is where she meets Charlie Sheen's character, falls in love with him super quick. They're making out. Great moment. Her whole thing is resolved in that one scene. But sometimes that's all it takes. Charlie Sheen comes in as her voice of reason, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Charlie Sheen, voice of reason. (laughs) But he does. He comes in and he's like, basically, why do you care about Ferris so much? Focus on you. If he gets away with stuff, it's only because you're mad that you didn't. Get over it. And she's like, you know what? You're right. You want to make out? (laughs) (laughs) And they do. But I love when they start making out because you slowly watch it in the uh, background. Yeah, where it's not even in focus. It's all blurry. It's all whatever. But you can see them just slowly getting closer and closer. And then they just start making out. And the mom's like, what the f*** are you doing? Yep. I love it. Jennifer Grey in this scene is absolutely amazing when she has to leave Charlie Sheen. And as she's like walking down the steps and she's like stumbling and she's falling over her words and she's giggling and it's like, it feels so damn real. Mm-hmm. She is a star in this scene. Yeah, it is so perfect. So Ferris has to run all the way home. While he's running, he's running through people's backyards. He's jumping off trampolines to get over fences. He runs down the middle of the street, which pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Get on the sidewalk. Because when he's running down the middle of the street is when his dad pulls up right next to him. And looks at him, and his dad does a double take of like, was that Ferris? And by that point, he's running around the other side of the car and taking off through houses again. Mm -hmm. If you were on the sidewalk, probably wouldn't have been a problem. Because your dad wouldn't have gotten that close to you. True. But I hate this scene of him running home. Like, it's really fun. But he jumps off a trampoline that a little girl's on. Yeah. And goes over the fence. Then he runs past two women who are sunbathing. You have a very hot girlfriend, sir. (laughs) Do not stop to be like, what's up? Hi, I'm Ferris. Also, just don't stop. Yeah, you're trying to get home at a certain time. Keep going. Yeah. You know what house they're at. Go back later if you have to. Or just like as you're running past, be like, yo, I'm Ferris. Look me up. So does that. He runs through people's houses. Yeah. Dinner's done. Yeah. And then he does. He gets home, but Rooney catches him. Yeah. Luckily for him, Jeannie opens the door and is like, Ferris, you walked home from the hospital, you courageous boy, because she's had a change of heart after making out with a convict. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she hands Rooney his wallet, which he dropped in the kitchen while he was breaking in. You left this this the last time you were here. More Genie. Justice for Genie in this movie. Uh, yeah. Less Dean, more Genie. Yes. I think it would have been a better movie if Dean wasn't doing it. If Genie was the one trying to catch him the whole time, would have been a lot better. At least she had the moment to change her mind. Correct. The Dean? Never. Never. So he does. He makes it into bed. The parents see him and he's like, oh, I'll go to school tomorrow. And they're like, courageous boy good job that's it end of movie mm-hmm. then we get a post credit scene he's like why are you still here it's, it's over, over. Go, home. go home which then deadpool parodied many many, many years later yeah. yeah so good yeah that's it that's the movie so i struggled with this a lot with this movie there's always a reason there's always a moral to take from a movie there's there's a message right mm-hmm. what is it with this movie I guess don't take your life so seriously. I don't know. I'll just let things happen. But Ferris doesn't seem like he ever takes his life seriously. So our protagonist doesn't grow at all. I think we're supposed to be more focused on Cameron than Ferris. That was my other question. Is this Cameron's movie, but we're seeing it through the eyes of Ferris? I think so. Okay. I think he was supposed to be our, like, quote unquote, main character. But he was not interesting enough to follow the entire day. That makes sense then. I just cannot for the life of me figure out what the meaning was of this movie. Let's go and do nits. Sure. So my nits are basically how quick they get to and from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Just their whole travel. The fact that the mannequin he uses is black. Yep, I have that one too. 
And the mom sees it. The mom sees an arm fall out from underneath the blanket. It's clearly black. Yeah. And she's like, oh, there's my boy. Huh? Are you blind? Yeah. His whole contraption of being sick, the way like he sets stuff up to play when somebody rings the doorbell, the whole pulley system to get the mannequin to roll over, mm-hmm. the fact that he's got his radio, all of it is nonsensical bullshit. That works. It shouldn't. And mm-hmm. it bothers me. Um, you can't do all that in eight hours. And his parents are absolute idiots. Yeah. Those are my nits. My nits are that Ferris is a lucky SOB. Yep. Because everything just works out for him. Um, where does Ferris's jacket go in the parade moment? He throws it. And then somehow gets it back. Yep. Yep. And we've gone through the rest of them of being like, there's no traffic in Chicago. And how do you do all this in one day? Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Let's go into questions. Yeah. Why is Sloane with Ferris? Who wouldn't want to be with a Ferris? He's so charismatic and everything works for him. But he's selfish as hell. Sure. You don't necessarily realize that when you're in high school. Yeah. Everyone seems to love him. Don't you know? That's my second question. Why does everybody love Ferris? Because he's charismatic. I know, but like... And everything works for him. They paint Save Ferris on the water tower Mm -hmm. of the city. The teachers all send him flowers and stuff like that. I get people liking you, but it goes too far. And I wish they would kind of, I guess that's the joke though, is we don't understand it, but it doesn't make any sense how far everybody goes. Yeah. One thing I forgot to note is how realistic the gossip is at the school at the beginning. How it blows up. Yeah. Yeah. How, and it keeps getting back to Jeannie of like, oh my gosh, I heard your brother was sick and now it's suddenly... He needs a new kidney. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect high school encapsulation. I just don't understand how he's that popular. Yeah. Why are his parents idiots? I know it was just a knit of mine, but why are his parents idiots? Is it funny? Yeah. And it's the whole idea that parents aren't actually paying attention to things. And a lot of kid and teen movies have the adults be completely useless because they need that aspect for the rest of the movie to happen that's fair so could this movie happen in 2023 no phones yeah yeah does the sister ever go to class no one ever goes to class except (laughs) for sloan and that's the class she gets pulled out of um how did ferris set up the doorbell thing without his mom seeing it because his mom comes home before we get to that moment how does he set that up i don't know (laughs) i don't know does this movie spend too much time with the dean slash at the school? Yeah, we already talked about this. Yes. Okay. If the day was truly about camera, why did he bring the girlfriend along? Because he's a selfish prick. Okay. Is the <sighs> is Sloane better friend than Ferris? Yes. And Your is, questions are easy to answer this time. Yeah. Is Ferris a fever dream? Are you talking about the fan theory? Sorry. Is the entire day a fever dream? No. Yeah. You want to talk about the fan theory? Sure. Which so one? So there's the dumb one. Okay. So there's a really weird fan theory that went around and it's, I guess, still going around where this is a Cameron movie because Ferris doesn't exist. He is a figment of Cameron's mind. Kind of think like Fight Club. Mm-hmm. It's his other personality is Ferris. I could see that only if Ferris didn't interact with things without Cameron being there. Yeah, so they all three interact with things at the same time, which mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. And that's why I think it's a really stupid theory. Yeah. Plus, we see Ferris's home. And Cameron's. Actually, technically, we never see Cameron's home except for his bedroom. So, yeah. Either it's a very elaborate, medicated dream of Cameron's, and he never actually got out of bed. 
mm-hmm. or no, the movie is what it is. Or is Cameron Ferris's other personality? No. Ferris <laughs> has one personality and it's Ferris. <laughs> uh, what piece of memorabilia do you want from this movie? Uh, you know what? I kind of want Ferris's jacket. Okay. If you were at the parade, you could have had it when he threw it. I know. I would have ran. Just taken it and gone. <laughs> this is mine now. The Ferrari. There's it's, no other question. There's weird. no other answer, I mean. It's hard, though, because it's so big that I don't consider it a piece of memorabilia, but, but I guess. But it, it is. Yeah. Do you think this could work as a miniseries? Yeah. Like 10 episodes, and then you could really, like, get into things and not rush everything? So, for that, I would make each episode one of the places that they go to and actually explore why they're there or mm. something happens in those and then you can get a bit of each episode is the dean Ooh, okay that way See, it doesn't feel as much i took it a different way because this is ferris's ninth sixth day the sick day mm. i figured each sick day would be an episode building up to the big sick day of where all of this is planned out okay and what comes next what what happens after this movie ends well they graduate well the two of them graduate the other one still has a, a year left sloan I, I honestly think none of them stay friends. None of them stay even remotely close. Ferris end up, ends up dying somewhere because he thinks he's invincible and uh, something bad happens. <laughs> Cameron yep. goes on to be a multimillionaire of okay. his own accord because his father cuts him off, but he's so smart. After and the then, car. yeah. Cuts him off after the car. Yeah. yeah. And then Sloan goes on to be a model. Ooh, okay. I like that. All right, let's go to awards. Yeah. First up is our Psycho Shower Scene Award. For your favorite scene in the movie. Bueller. Bueller. I absolutely enjoy that scene of that classroom because we've all known the teacher like that. We all understand why Ferris would want a day off from that. So it's a it's a great setup scene of that. And it's funny. Him just constantly saying the name over and over again because he's not actually paying attention. He doesn't see the empty desk. Or yeah. care. Yeah. I also like when they cut back to it. Anybody. And he's teaching. And he's like, and this is what you do when you come across this kind of interest. Does anyone know? Anyone? Anyone? Well, you do this. Because he never pauses long enough for anybody to actually answer. Mm-hmm. He just wants to make it seem like he asked. Yeah. Mine goes to the art museum. Mm-hmm. I love the art museum scene. It's a nice, slower, done thing rather than like the upbeat scenes from the restaurant of like lying the parade float the stock exchange with all that craziness this is just a nice slow scene Mm -hmm. i think it's framed really well and i think it could have been a really boring scene most people don't care about art museums but i think it's shot in such an interesting and unique way and framed really well i love when all three of them are standing like in a row looking at the same painting and they're all standing in the same way i love the scene where cameron is staring at the painting and we're moving in on his face as we're moving into the painting mm-hmm. so that he's kind of seeing himself in this child that's lost inside of the painting. Love that. And I love the fact that they're playing the Smiths. It's please, so please, good. please let me get what I want is by the Smiths is playing in that scene. And I think it works so well, so well. It is probably the prettiest scene in the entire movie. It's the most cinematic scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting note originally they wanted a song from the cure to be played over that Mm -hmm. and the cure said no because they didn't realize how iconic of a movie this was going to be so they switched to the smiths and now everybody knows that song because it was in this movie (laughs) 
All right, next up is the Life uh, Finds a Way Award. Life uh, finds a way. Mine goes to the ever iconic. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. The message of the movie, and it's something that I have lived my life by in, in certain times. I go through phases of understanding this quote and certain phases of letting myself get stuck. But it's something that everyone does need to learn. And I wish they would have focused a little bit more on that aspect. But the line itself is fantastic. Mine goes to Grace, the secretary. Because love I love her. And we didn't talk enough about her. We but will. she's amazing. And it's when the dean asks her about Ferris. Like, do you know who Ferris is? And she says. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. I love the way she says righteous dude. <laughs> I, it's so good. I just love the fact that she just names all these things like sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts. She's just straight up she's like they're so sluts. Realistic, and I think she's probably one of the most realistic characters in this entire movie because we've all known like a secretary or someone in the office who understands what's happening in the school, and it's just like, yeah, this is some dumb BS, but I'm here anyway. Yeah, I love that she says there's bloods there, which is like <laughs> a gang in LA, and uh, if you have bloods at your school, you have way worse problems than Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Uh, one, one quick thing about Grace that I love. There's such a small moment with her that cracks me up every time. We just see her sitting at her desk, writing something down, pulling pencils out of her hair. Love it. She pulls like three, two or three out of her hair and like looks surprised each time she does it. Yeah. It's such a small moment and it's one of the funniest beats in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Next up is the prestige award. Every magic trick as a third act, the part we call the prestige. For the biggest WTF moment for you in this movie, making out with Sloane when he picks her up from the school. Yes. So when Ferris calls in and they fake it, like it's her dad and her dad's picking her up because her grandma died. The principal, the dean, walks her out so that she can go to her dad. He's standing at the school. They're maybe 25 feet away. And he's like, you got a kiss for daddy. And they make out. And the dean just has the line of like, hmm, so that's how their family is. I'm sorry, what the... F yeah, no. Ferris, you couldn't have taken two damn seconds to drive away and then do it? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure the dean went back inside and called DCFS and was like, there's some weird shit going on with that family. Y'all should look into it. Yeah. yeah. It goes a little too far. Yeah. For me, it's the German Day Parade. The fact that it's not in the fall... And that he jumps on there and gets start singing. It's just a little too ridiculous, a little too WTF. So your biggest WTF moment is almost everyone's favorite moment. Yeah. All right. It makes no sense. I, I like it. It's great, but it makes no sense. I like it. Next up is the Han Shop First Award. Yeah, all Scott. Yes, I bet you have. For what held up the worst since this movie came out? It's Ferris Bueller. Yeah. It's the character Ferris Bueller. I have that. 100%. And we've talked enough about it. We did a whole tangent about it earlier. We went on a little rant. He's a terrible person mm -hmm. and he deserves nothing in life. So let's just move on. Okay. To the Paul Rudd Award. I'm Paul Rudd and I adapt. For the thing that held up the best since this movie came out. For me, it's the character of Grace. Wow. Okay. <laughs> 
you're not wrong. She is fantastic. I want more Grace in my movie because every moment with her is iconic. You're not you're not wrong. She is far and away one of the best characters in this movie. Every time she shows up, it is a plus. It's an A plus scene. Yeah. For me, it's the acting. Okay. I think the casting is fantastic. And I think everybody plays, whether or not I like their character, I think every character is played to the nines. It is all so good. Jeannie is the perfect bratty sister Mm -hmm. who hates that you're the favorite. The Dean is too far, but Jeffrey Jones at least does it really well. Yeah. And we already talked about Grace. She's fantastic. But the main three. Sloane, although she doesn't have a lot to do, she nails the stuff that she does. And then obviously... Alan Ruck and Matthew Broderick, we were talked, are perfect casting, and they encapsulate their roles. I couldn't, so I sat here and I thought about, who would I put in these roles instead? No and I idea. think the original choice for Ferris was supposed to be Michael J. Fox. Okay. I, I think I remember reading that somewhere. I don't think the movie works with him. I could see it, though. I could see it. I don't think it's as good. Probably. And I think he makes the character Ferris a lot more likable. So I think the acting, just top to bottom in this movie, even the parents... They're supposed to be oblivious parents, and they are. Yeah. Just, they're great. Even Charlie Sheen's little five minutes is top So notch. good. Top yeah. Notch. So top to bottom, the acting. All right. Final decision. Honestly, I don't think this movie holds up. There's just so much wrong with it that I can't get past. Things just don't make sense the way that they are. They don't focus on the right things. Is it a fun movie to watch still? Yes, but I just don't think it would have been made today. Agreed. I don't think it holds up either. It's a fun movie. You can take something away from it, maybe. But all in all, one of my big notes was it has high points. And those are the points of the movie you remember. The parade float, the art museum, the Ferrari, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything in between those scenes is filler, throwaway, who gives a shit. Yeah. It has more low points than high points. And for that reason, I don't think it holds up. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us to discuss... Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ooh, quick last question. Is there a better title for this movie than Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I'm sure there is, but I just don't know Because it's not just his day off. Yeah. It's all three of their days off, and Jeannie's Day Off, and the Dean's Day Off. I'd have gone with, like, Sick Day. Yeah. I don't know if that would have played as well. Yeah. Chicago Tourist Attractions. (laughs) Is that what they should have called it? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Let us know over on our socials what you think this movie should have been called or if you think Ferris Bueller was the perfect title for this movie. You can find us on our socials by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Next week, we'll be back again and we're covering one of the worst superhero movies ever made. Maybe. It should be fun. Time to revisit it. We're talking Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern next week. So... Come join us for that. That will be a lot of fun. In the meantime, remember that you're a legend, so be good to yourself. But more importantly, be kind to others and keep watching movies. Bye.